What is up, podcast listeners? Thank you for giving me a few moments of your day to listen to this podcast. This is the Matt Baxter Show. I'm your host, Matt Baxter, and this podcast is about purpose, passion, and calling. Super stoked to have you as a listener because we're going to dive into some awesome, intense stories about people who are going through this journey of this thing called life, and we're all just figuring this out together. But seriously, you're giving me a little bit of your time, and I want to make sure it's valuable and worthwhile. So have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was getting this podcast off the ground, we first started as the Wedgecast, evolved into the Matt Baxter Show. There was a lot of questions that we had, like, how do I record an episode? How do I get my show in all the different places like Spotify, Apple Music, Anchor, Zencaster, all these different places. And yet it just seemed very, very complicated. But the simple thing for us as we began to navigate the waters is the answer to every single one of these questions, questions excuse me, was really simple. It's Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free. Yeah, free. And it's ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise in your podcast. That means you can get paid podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, making money. Okay, it's sweet. It's easy. It's not a big cheap plug on an ad, but it's just simple and easy to use. So for us, it's one of the best parts about it is we can do it entirely remote or in studio. So you can record, you've got that really, really high, you know, high in the sky person that you're going to have as a guest on your podcast. You got to do it remote. Anchor is easy to use. You got people who are willing to come to your studio, your house, your office, wherever you're recording it. Boom. Anchor. Love it. Simple, easy, simple and easy to use. So if you ever want to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. Join me in the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Can't wait to hear your podcast. On this episode of the podcast, I'm hanging out with a gentleman by the name of Doug Billings. Doug Billings is an author. He is a public speaker. He is an human resources executive and leader. And he is just a very, very fascinating human being. I have to say this, though. The reason why I originally, so I didn't, I've never actually met Doug Billings in person. And I'm not afraid to admit that. What inspired me to reach out to this guy is his bio on LinkedIn literally reads, I'm in HR to stop leaders from being jackasses. And as I saw that, I'm thinking, that is a guy who I want to spend some time with. And so I reached out, asked him to be a guest on the show. We talked a couple times and he's just fantastic. He's really easy guy to talk to. And he is somebody who preaches and lives out this whole concept of servant leadership. If you're looking to figure out how to be a better servant leader in your life, this is an episode for you. Hi, everybody. My name is Matt Baxter. I am the CEO and founder of Wedge, and this is the Wedgecast. We are sitting here with Doug Billings, the Vice President of Human Resources for Tutera, Senior Living and Healthcare. He is also an author, and he's a public speaker, and I'm going to give him the chance to dive into that um, background a little bit. But, Doug, thanks for being on the show. Hey, Matt. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. So, Doug, i got to be honest. I uh, When I originally found you on LinkedIn – um, it was because of your bio. And for those listening, I got to read this out loud because it's just too good. So your bio is I'm in HR to stop leaders from being jackasses, plain and simple, period. So so Doug, can you just talk? What What is that? Talk about that. It's it's just too good. So I want to hear hear about that. Oh, good. Yeah, it, it, it gets a lot of attention, Matt. And I, I mean, <laughs> uh, tongue in cheek, of course, but there's a sense 
of uh, reality in that. There are, um, you know, in my opinion, there's a lot of leaders out there who are jackasses. There's a lot of human resource folks that are jackasses, by the way, too. And I, I put that out there because I want to uh, I want to convert the jackasses. I want to convert them to uh, meaningful servant leaders and, and and teach and save their careers from uh, from all of that. So it's not that I want to throw them to the curb or get rid of them, but I want to grab folks' attention enough to realize, you know, it's okay to admit that and it's okay to say it out loud because it's the truth. There are people out there in leadership roles who um, probably shouldn't be. But we as HR folks need to um, default to saving them rather than defaulting to crucifying them in a public square. <laughs> so as a leader myself, I'm sure there's been times where I have been referred to as a jackass. So what you're telling me is there's still hope occasionally for people like us. There is. And stop doing that, man. Whatever you're doing, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, Doug, obviously, you got you got a heck of a background. Um, you do some public speaking. You're an author. Uh, you have quite a background in human resources. And so can you just give us a little bit about your story and what's kind of led you up to today? Sure. I'll give you a, a, a brief background about who is this guy that everyone's listening to. So um, as I go back in my professional life, really, the, the role model that I had for an HR leader was my dad. My dad was uh, not only my best friend and, and mentor in life, but he was an HR director for uh, a company called Ashgrove Cement Company. And I just watched him uh, as a boy growing up and seeing what he did. Um, I was raised in a, in a, in a Kansas City, uh, in the Kansas City area in a family, Catholic family. I, I explored actually part of my educational background was uh, studied to be a priest, studied to be a priest for a couple of years at Conception Abbey. In northwestern Missouri, had a great time of discernment up there where I learned that um, it was important for me to have some sense of, of helping other people. And it, it was there also that I learned the definition, at least my own personal definition, of the meaning of life. You know, why are we here? Why were we born, et cetera? And for me, Matt, um, the answer to that question is that the meaning of life is to enter into the lives of others and make differences for the better. Hmm. So I wanted to begin to, as I discerned the priesthood and, and realized that that's not where my life calling was going to lead me. How else could I enter into people's lives at key moments and make differences for the better? And uh, what came to mind at that time uh, in my mid-20s was uh, education. So I went back to the university, the public university, University of Missouri of Kansas City, and received a master's degree in education. And I taught high school theology and English for a couple of years. And as many teachers do in the summer months to make some extra money, uh, I answered a call by Sprint uh, in their human resource department under their uh, corporate university umbrella huh. to, to be a, a summer intern in their university of excellence. And it was a paid internship. And after the, the three-month term was over that particular summer, uh, a guy like me who's not inclined to be very good at math. Math is not my natural. <laughs> I was at least smart enough to realize, wow, look what just happened to me over the summer. In three months, I've made more money all year than I would have all year teaching school. It must have been a pretty simple math equation. Then. It was a very simple one, yeah. Right. Um, so the writing at that point was on the board. I left education, went into human resources um, with a company, a consulting company where I Spent the next 24 years um, traveling the country, uh, doing HR stuff for, for automotive manufacturers, aerospace companies, and healthcare. And um, got into 
labor relations negotiated uh, over 125 collective bargaining agreements, trying to keep the unions under control or out of facilities that weren't already unionized. Uh, employee engagement and uh, retention, uh, servant leadership began to develop within me, and I had a really good mentor during those days who let me take the reins. And um, and and I and I grew up there with with them at that company. During that time, Matt, you know, part of my story is. In 2010, I was diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer, and that does a couple of things to anyone, I think. One, it, it makes us more aware of, of the beauty and the, and, the, and, the, and the wonder of life, and then two, it makes us take a second look about what we're doing. So I had a, a very rare form of cancer and a, and a long surgery and uh, an even longer recovery. And during 2010, I wrote a book uh, about this kind of stuff that we're going to talk about, about overcoming adversity seeing everything as a gift, servant leadership, uh, reaching in and entering the people's lives at key moments and making differences for the better. Barnes & Noble picked it up, and um, you know, I began to go on this speaking circuit and, and talk to businesses and leaders about uh, servant leadership, and, which brings me to the current day. Uh, I, the, the former company sold and, and divested and I began to look for some other things, and that's uh, when, when I came on board here in my current role. But I still continue to have a presence out on LinkedIn and uh, accept the uh, the speaking invitations as, as they arrive, as long as it doesn't interfere with my day job here. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, first off, thanks for sharing that whole background. It's, it's amazing, I guess, somewhat the linear approach of sticking with uh, – your original, your original like meaning of life conversation about helping other people and making a difference for the better and how that has been something that no matter throughout the course of your career, you basically have maintained, but that's looked very different from priesthood to education to working at a sprint store to ultimate human resources to writing up. I mean, so you, you, <clears throat> it's been really cool actually just listening to that, hearing how you followed that path, no matter what the actual outcome was, where I think in my yep. opinion, t speaking to so many different people, it seems like they're trying to find their purpose simply like finding their purpose with the job, like the job is their purpose rather than them having their own, per not without overusing the word purpose, but without them having their own you know, personal mission and carrying that into a job too. So I love the fact that you have such uh, a linear focus on what that is. That's fan fantastic. Um, so quick question, if, if you're willing for me to ask, I, I'd love to ask about when you first were diagnosed with cancer, and obviously you're a very uh, driven guy in a lot of different ways, and knowing what you've accomplished now, was initially was it more encouraging or discouraging for the first year or two years out? Because obviously you've done some amazing things despite all that. Right. Well, yeah, good question. And I think every cancer survivor has a, a, a little bit of a different story, but I think there's a few things that are in common uh, to all of us. And one is that I think in general, most of us, uh, whether we survive cancer or, or not, and there are those who are less fortunate who, who don't. And, and doggone it, one of these days we're going to find a way to beat all of it. But um, the first response has got to be defaulting to the positive. I think that that's not only if you're facing cancer, but it's facing any challenge or adversity in life. You know, default to the positive, try to see it as a gift. And that might sound crazy, Matt, to a lot of people, but uh, truly I mean it in my gut, in my heart. You, you've got to see these challenges that uh, come at us in life, whether it's divorce, you lost your job, you're diagnosed with cancer, whatever, try to reflect on it and see the good and the gift in it. Because once we do that, 
we're able to become grateful and we see things in a new way. You know, I always use the example in my own experience, whether it's divorce or cancer or whatever. Um, it, I liken the whole thing to if you ever watch a nature show, the, the National Geographic Channel or whatever, and there's a there happens to be there an episode where they're showing volcanoes and the lava slowly comes out of the volcano and slowly creeps along and just lays waste and scorches everything in its path. Well, for a lot of us, when we when we face adversity, that's exactly how we feel. We feel scorched. And if it's this, this slow, agonizing process where we can't seem to find any kind of hope. But on those shows, after the lava cools and new growth starts to sprout up from the lava, what we notice is the, the life that comes after the scorching is more fertile than the life that was there before. And if we can apply that kind of dynamic to the adversities that we face in life, no matter what they are, we begin then to default to the positive and wonder, joy, and meaning become more obvious to us and gratitude begins to rule our lives. And one thing about gratitude, Matt, is that grateful people are the happiest people on the planet. Hmm. And we don't, we don't spend enough time in business talking about this kind of stuff. We need to, we need to remind our employees about these kinds of things and say this out loud to them. Because that's the beginning of how we begin to enter into their lives and make differences for the better. Love that. So you've already in that answer touched on a topic that I definitely want to spend some time on, but uh, servant leadership. So obviously you've seen this, you've seen probably good leaders. Um, you've obviously, based upon your bio, you've dealt with some very bad leaders. Uh, well, maybe bad by title and bad leaders in general, but then also obviously you've helped develop and you are, you know, you're a true leader yourself. So can you first, um, I, I want to start this and then I want to let you go because this is a topic I know you're an expert on, but what do you see, what's the difference between a true leader and somebody who's just uh, in a leadership because of the position? And what's the difference between the two? And then how do you potentially start to develop people into becoming true servant leaders? Great question, man. And the difference, real quickly, is this. The difference between an effective servant leader and someone who's not lies within their definition of success. When you ask a leader who might be perceived, as I say in my in my own if, if, if there's someone out there who's who's perceived as being a jackass, that then that person, it's likely that that person's definition of success only has to do with them. In other words, whatever they view as their own definition of success is what they're striving for. The, the servant leader is different because the servant leader wants to know what's the definition of everyone else's success. They want to know, for all of the people that work in their facility, if I'm a hospital administrator, I, need, I want to know what every employee, and words are important, every employee, what is their definition of success? And I want to help them get there. That's a servant leader, putting the needs of others first, and making sure that they are aware of the, the, success, the success drivers for all of the folks that report into them. And then in whatever way is appropriate and possible, the leader, the servant leader, helps those people achieve that success. So, okay, uh, taking that a step further. So how do you, how do you find somebody who is a jackass and you transition them into, I mean, what does that process look like? Because what I know is that somebody like you can look at somebody and you can see a lot of potential, but there's also a lot of times people who don't really want to help them help themselves. And so how can you, how do you lead people without obviously, 
I guess lead people who don't want to be led, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, let me say this. Just because a person might be a jackass in the way they lead people does not mean that they are a bad person. They could have all the best intentions of the world. They just don't realize what they're doing demotivates a workforce. So um, where, where to begin? Gosh, you take any anybody who's a micromanager. Anybody who's a micromanager is a jackass. Anybody who, <laughs> anybody who doesn't allow folks to have flexibility in the workforce when it's perfectly obvious that they could work from home on occasion is a jackass if they don't allow that to happen, especially if the person in question, the employee in question, is going to be lost to a competitor or another company when we're not able to be flexible in that way. The old model of you've got to be here. If you're a manager, by golly, you've got to walk through the doors every day. You've got to be here in person to lead these people. That's a that's a model that, A, was never really good in the first place, and, B, certainly will not fly with the younger generation coming up in the workforce today. We need to be flexible in the way that we approach this. And, and my belief is that, look, a good manager, a good servant leader can manage people from anywhere on the planet. Hmm. You, don't to, you don't need to be in the same office. Now, there are some jobs, nursing, for example, where you have to be in the hospital. Your job is to give patient care. So I'm not talking about those kinds of positions, but other ones, we need to be more flexible. And so, you know, the, the micromanaging folks, you know, telling folks, you know, that I think that one of the things managers miss the most is, when, when they, and when I say miss, they miss the mark, is that, look, unleash your people. There's no need for you to micromanage them. You've hired them because they have a certain professional advantage that you want to unleash. The last thing you want to do is demotivate them and make them smothered because you're a micromanager. Let them go. And if they fall down and skin their knees, coach them how to not do it again. Let them be free and do what they were hired to do. Love that. So uh, this is, I'm going to ask for, this is going to be a question that might take a little humility, but I think, I think you're a guy who has it. So what's an, when, when's, do you have an example of a time that you were a jackass? Oh, heck. Look, Matt, if, if God were to come down and say, let's make a line of everybody who's made a mistake, <laughs> I, I would be first in that line. And that's, that's exactly, I knew you were going to have, I knew you were going to have a rock star of an answer to that. So that's why I felt, that's why I felt comfortable asking. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I there's have, some uh, there's some people you can ask those questions to, and then there's some people you can't. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I uh, I learned early in life you got to know what your faults are, what your talents are, and I, I I have I will readily admit I have made my fair share of mistakes. You know, especially in the, in terms of of having empathy for people. I you know there there's things that I think only age can bring most people, and I don't say everybody, but most people you know, season with age, and they, they become more aware of other people's predicaments, other people's life stories, and so forth. So, you know, people that go through a divorce or cancer or any kind of adversity or challenge in their life, usually, if, they're, if they have a good and, and healthy perspective, they'll have more sympathy and empathy for others uh, that are going through similar things. So as a leader, before this enlightenment of mine, you know, I was probably a jackass because I didn't have much empathy for people. The yeah. extent of my sympathy for someone going through a divorce before I went through my own, and I've happily remarried since, but the extent of my sympathy back then was, oh, I'm sorry, I'll see you tomorrow at work. Whereas, whereas now it's more like, hey, do you need anything? I'm here for you. Do you want to go out and get a drink after work and talk about it? If you need anything, let me know. And by the way, if you need some time off, I got your back at work. Okay. So it just 
it changes your perspective. So whereas before I might not have been so empathetic, I, I would like to hope that today I am. So this is going to be, this question will be a little bit of a transition, but um, when you do public speaking or you know you have like a short period of time to spend with somebody, group of people, whatever that is, what would you say is your hope that you leave them with? Mine, clearly it's this, that we begin to think of leadership in, in uh, additional terms other than just the traditional ones. So, for example, I'm not so concerned that you should be concerned about your metrics and your KPIs. Leave that for later, especially if you come from a facility that doesn't have a good culture filled with meaningful relationships. And a lot of leaders cringe because that's all they know. How do I measure myself? Metrics and KPIs. And I say to those managers that are in facilities that are perhaps dysfunctional, which, by the way, is the majority my audiences are the people that are looking for hints and techniques and tips on how to become a better cultured employer. So what I say to them is forget the metrics. If you have to talk about them, talk about them only amongst your senior team. Don't talk about them with your employees because, A, they don't care. B, you don't have a meaningful relationship with them. And C, it's a waste of time. So I begin by talking about that, building relationships, having empathy uh, with, with regards to those relationships, and especially how you apply policy, understanding what definitions of success your employees hold, and then knowing what their dreams are, what they want to do, how, what they what they want to do not only at work, but, but what they want to do uh, at home. So I hope I leave folks with, with a new way of thinking. Don't worry, because your numbers, the KPIs and the metrics by which you measure yourself, will almost always take care of themselves if you begin with relationships. I like that a lot. <clears throat> That's powerful. It really is. Um, so I guess the very last question to tee us off um, is uh, what gets you out of bed in the morning the most? I mean, I know obviously we've talked about your passion for people, your passion for leadership, your passion for servant leadership, your passion for learning. But I guess what would you say is um, what gets you out of bed in the morning the most? Um, without a doubt, uh, my, my, my children and my wife are my driving force in life. Uh, they are the, the motivation behind all I do. At work, it's the ability, if, if on any given day, I can help a leader understand what it means to be successful in terms of other people's success, I would consider that day a win. And if I can teach them that, especially in today's world with the generation X, Y, Zs, and whatever else that are coming up, if, if, if I can convince them that the most important commodity that they have is this, the ability to be emotionally capable to interact with others and establish meaningful relationships with them. That's their most important commodity. It's beyond sales. It's beyond profit. It's beyond anything, any other benchmark. So emotional intelligence and the capability to build meaningful relationships with your employees is where it's got to be. All of your metrics, again, I'll say it again, all of the metrics and KPIs that you measure yourself against will flow from that commodity of yours, which is building relationships. So if I can do that, I'm, I'm, I'm sleeping well at night. Well, I can, I can say, uh, as currently sitting as a jackass myself, I think you've convinced me of that. So, so thank you. Um, <laughs> Well, Doug, thank you. Uh, is there any, any last thoughts, any, any, anything closing uh, you want to offer? 
I, I would just say this, Matt, if I can indulge you in a, in a quick story in your audience. To, Please, yeah, to, absolutely. In 45 seconds or less. But, you know, when we approach our, our people in our world, there's two things. One is get to know a piece of their personal life. I want to know in my facility who has a child on a summer Little League baseball or volleyball team. And I want to write the kid a letter, a handwritten note. Hey, I heard, I heard that you were on the championship team. Congratulations. I work with your mom or I work with your dad. Way to go. Then I want to write the parent a letter. Hey, man, that's great about your daughter, about your son. I couldn't be more happy for you. A handwritten note put in the mail to their home address and let them get those letters. That, 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 the employees that get those letters from, from leaders will hang them in their cube for a few months, but they'll keep them from out forever. And, and, and you as a leader will be the person they mention when they're in a meeting, when they're asked the question, who was your best boss? You'll be the person that they talk about because you took that that time and that effort. And by the way, with an hourly or any kind of demographic workforce, those people, you will reduce your voluntary turnover exponentially because they're not going to walk down the street for 50 cents more an hour because they're getting something from you that they can't get anywhere else. And that is the feeling that they're wanted and they're needed and that you've entered into their life at a key moment and you've made a difference for the better. That is so good. That's such a good note to leave on. So Doug, Thank you so much for being on the show. This is uh, more than just a podcast. This is a leadership lesson. And I think you have partially converted one jackass out of it. So I think mission accomplished. <laughs> hey, Matt, you're welcome. I'm flattered for the invitation to be able to speak with you and to your, to your listeners. Thanks. Thanks again. Okay. Have, a, have a great week. 